ప్రేమ స్వరూపులైన విద్యార్థులారా విద్యా బోధకులారా Swami brings back the chariot analogy we looked at in discourse 4. The bodies compared to the chariot, the senses to the horses, the mind to the reins and the intellect to the charioteer. As Swami says, the mind is positioned between the senses and the intellect. If the mind follows the dictates of the intellect, we're safe. If, however, the mind becomes a slave of the wild horses, it leads us into endless sorrow and suffering. We've seen what happens. the senses take over and it's horse before the cart once again these two options brothers and sisters are our two paths swami names them the internal and the external path following the path of the senses is the external path while following the intellect is the internal path swami points out that most people are quite content to pursue the external path rendering their lives impure very few actually inquire and explore the internal the path less traveled so here we stand at the point where the roads diverge either we control the horses or the horses control us control or be controlled unfortunately it's not possible for us to take both a choice must be made swami firmly guides us down the right one as he says in the discourse audio It is necessary to carefully and safely go along the internal path. These are not ordinary horses. These wild beasts are constantly on the lookout, constantly feasting on sense objects. We need to hand the ropes over to the charioteer. By employing the intellect, the reins can be used to tame the wild horses and bring them under control. In our current state, the charioteer doesn't even have the ropes in his hands. When each horse decides to go its own way, who is endangered by this? Swami says, not merely the chariot, the charioteer and everyone in the chariot too. When the right path is not taken, when the charioteer is not steering the mind, the chariot is destroyed and the purpose of its existence is not realized. Our body is made impure and the principle of truth or oneness is totally lost. It's like it's been upended. Swami goes on to say that to understand the weakness of man that leads him down this path, we first need to understand the mind.
Our divine indweller, who knows our every thought and feeling, states that many people today constantly employ their thoughts in harming others. They're under the impression that they will gain some good by harming others. Swami asserts that what they fail to realise is that the harm done to others is going to recoil on them many fold. He says, Don't criticise or condemn others. If you deceive your friends, they in turn will cheat you. If you disobey your parents, your children will pay up back in the same coin. If you hurt others, you will also be hurt. Therefore, we should try not to criticise or hurt others in any way. We're probably familiar with this. Reflection, reaction and resound. Swami makes a profound statement that this reflection, reaction, resound is the nature and influence of the mind. We should, therefore, try not to criticise or hurt others in any way. Doesn't this statement shed a new light on one of Swami's cardinal teachings? Help ever, hurt never? It is because of the nature and influence of the mind that these reactions are occurring, that the criticism or hurtful remarks or actions are boomeranging back to us. It's all in our mind. We are therefore merely hurting ourselves. Swami continues, Some sinful people hurt others without any provocation whatsoever. In fact, there are people who cavil not only at other men, but even against God, who has done no harm to them at all. Swami compares these people to silverfish. Their discriminative powers equate to a big fat zero. The nature of a silverfish is to damage any cloth indiscriminately, whether it's an expensive designer sari or a worthless dirty kitchen rag. Where does this recklessly harmful nature stem from anyway? Swami points out that this highly despicable tendency on the part of some persons to harm others is traceable to their bad thoughts. And what is the cause for these bad thoughts? Not cultivating good thoughts. Aha! It's all falling into place now. So, before we proceed any further, let's bring to mind the definitions of a good and bad thought that we saw last episode. To put it simply, good thoughts allow us to see oneness in all. They cultivate the principle of divine love. Bad thoughts cause division, separation between man and man. So when we have a bad thought about others, what we're doing is creating more division in the way we see the world. The more bad thoughts that we have, the more concrete this division is steeped in our own minds and the further we begin to move away from our spiritual goal of oneness. The fundamental pillars, love or serve all and help ever, hurt never, appear to be guides in this context. Perhaps prerequisites to dissolving all differences and seeing the oneness, the truth in all. And how do we go about putting this into practice? Swami gives us a simple method. We need to counteract our bad thoughts with good thoughts. By focusing on the oneness, we naturally let go of division. Swami sprays away any confusion with the perfume, I mean perfect, analogy. He tells us it's like this. When there's a bad smell in your house, you try to get rid of the smell. We pinch our nose and pull out our sweet-scented air fresheners and incense sticks and spray and light them to the high heavens and back to cover up that odious odour. It's the same idea with our thoughts. 
We simply need to hold on to good thoughts in order to distance ourselves from bad ones. If our attention is on the fact that God alone is, then we naturally see Swami animating everyone. There's no room for differences, is there? When holding on to a good thought, we automatically drop the bad one. But if only it was as simple as spraying a good thought-scented air freshener into a bad thought-smelling mind. We've all probably had a first-hand experience of how strong and stubborn the mind can be. Swami quotes a verse from the Bhagavad Gita where Arjuna complains to Krishna and Krishna totally agrees that the mind is constantly wavering. Not just that, it's also strong, obstinate and turbulent. What a combination, right? This is the nature of the mind. Even the creator concurs. The replacement of bad thoughts with good ones, therefore, calls for sincere and determined efforts, considering how fickle, strong and stubborn the mind is. While this process of cultivating good thoughts may be difficult, it's important to remember that good thoughts will eventually lead us to the fulfillment of our lives, while bad thoughts will degrade us to the level of beasts. If we don't put in the effort, we're going to remain trapped in the pendulum of happiness and sorrow. Swami has certainly given us a lot of thoughts about our thoughts. A total thoughtception? As we watch our thoughts, let's make a sincere effort to hold on to the good ones. The ones that allow divine love to flow and break all barriers of division. This time, what if we took the inner path and let the intellect have a go? To quote Robert Frost, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. See you next time, fellow traveller. Until then, stay rawsome.